the teachings of the apostles, or the catechism of the early church. Join Pastor Hook in today's teaching of the Didache. All right. Um, we're in the Didache, and the Didache is this early church writing. It's called the Teachings of the Apostles. Didache is didactic. It's to teach. And um, this is probably the second or third generation after the apostles. This is what the apostles taught. And um, obviously when the, when the early church started Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit came down as tongues of fire on the early disciples and 3,000 baptized after Peter's sermon. It's all captured in, Luke, in uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2. Um, but then the church has to live, right? They have to figure out how to live together. And in figuring out how to live together, they start to put order and structure in the early church. They, they started to create their very, very first, in Lutheran terms, that might be they started to, to put together the first confessions, all right? They started to put together the first uh, order of worship. They started to put together their first uh, ideas of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. All this stuff is captured in this book called the Didache. And um, it's just, it's absolutely fascinating. It is, it is incredibly fascinating. And so I'm really enjoying this. And uh, I have no, I, I was originally thinking that it would take, uh, you know, just maybe uh, a few minutes to go through this thing. And apparently uh, it's going to take a little bit longer because I can tell you right now, it's, uh, it's just been really, really good. So we ended up getting into, uh, we looked at Didache chapter one. Yesterday, we looked at Didache chapter 2. Today, we're going to get into Didache chapter 3. And um, let's see if I can uh, find that outline again. Oh, there it is right there. So uh, this is the outline. I'm going to show you the outline uh, right here. It's uh, the first part of the Didache is the way of life. Uh, and then the second part is the way of death. And then there's some catechesis. Well, we're in the way of life. Uh, and what we talked about yesterday was to flee evil and lust and desires. Uh, so we're, so basically, the Didache said, uh, when it first started, there's two ways to life. There's two ways to live your life. There's the way of life and there's the way of death. The way of life brings God into you and fills your life in what they call life. The way of death destroys you, it kills you. So the way of life is like putting fertilizer on your, on your root system to grow. The way of death is like putting poison on your root system so you don't grow and maybe even kills you. And I'm not talking about physical growth, uh, although physical growth is part of it, but I'm talking about spiritual growth, growth as the way God created you. Um, that, is, that is the way the early church looked at body, soul, spirit, mind, is that God created you um, the way you are, and you need, to, you need to be growing in all your aspects, including spiritual, including physical, emotional, uh, physical, spiritual. All these things are part of your growth pattern, and there's ways to help you to grow healthy, and that's called the way of life. And then there's this thing that's called the way of death, which will kill you and destroy you. Uh, and that... It, it, and the reason why I like this Didache is because I believe it's so applicable to the generation of people that are kind of just becoming, you know, after the boomers, I guess I want to say, that generation that is younger 
those people seem to, th this kind of language, I believe, speaks well to them. So this might be a, a way of a language to speak to people who are um, in the younger generations. Because the, the, the thing that the early church was fighting early on was the Greek culture. And uh, I, I see the younger generations kind of going back to a Greek type culture. I mean, in some aspects, not completely, obviously, but in some aspects. So that's why I find this so fascinating. And I think this is going to be helpful. So we looked at chapter one, we looked at chapter two, and we looked at some of the words in chapter one and chapter two. And um, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to uh, bring all this stuff uh, together. And, um, and so that's, that's also a challenge. So uh, let's see. Yeah, I don't remember where we left. I, well, I think we're beginning in chapter three. So that's where we're going to begin. And um, so this is the Didache. And uh, we're going to start at chapter three, verse one. My child, flee from every evil man and from all like him. Be not proud, for pride leads to murder, nor jealous, nor contentious, nor passionate, for from all these murders are engendered. All right, so... Um, and you can see I, I put this in a little bit different format because I was doing research and I was putting the text in one location and the research in another location. And I'm realizing this is not going to be helpful for you at all. So, at all. <clears throat> it's not going to be helpful for me to explain it or to reflect on it. And so uh, I put some of the Greek words in there. Now, um, <clears throat> so we're continuing on. This is chapter three. This is advice to people who are about to be baptized. This is... This is how to live your life. This is the way of life. So um, what the writer of the Didache is saying, my child, flee from every evil man and from all like him. Now, it's interesting that he calls him my child, my technon, technonmu, um, <clears throat> because that's the type of language. You may have heard that language before, and John uses that language. Um, in his epistle, in his first epistle, he calls, he says, my little children. And you go back to the Greek there, it's the same word, technon. Technon is, um, is a term of endearment that John uses for the people. Uh, if, if John is the rabbi and he's the teacher, then he uses technon for his pupils. So this language, while we said uh, yesterday and the day before that the Didache really matches along with the book of Matthew, that's what I read, when I read this, I almost am pulled towards John, who would have been alive. John did not die until, uh, what, 80 AD or something, 90 AD, 100 AD. Uh, John lived to be a very, very good old age, uh, living on the island of Patmos. And so if you're going to have something that's the writings of, of the 12 apostles, it would not surprise me that we have language that has the flavor of the apostle John. And this is how the Apostle John spoke. He would always call his people, my, tech, my children, my technon. Uh, and so uh, this is just, it just, it kind of gives you a warm fuzzy because you almost could say maybe John's speaking. I mean, we not, maybe these aren't the words of John, but you can kind of hear the words of, you can hear the flavor and the attitude and the love of John coming through here. Um, and if, you, if you've written, if you've written, if you've read, the Gospel of John or looked at the epistles of John. There's a flavor of John, and this just speaks in his flavor, and I think that's kind of cool. My children, flee from every evil man 
and from all like him. So what the Didache is saying is that, uh, you know, don't surround yourself with people who are evil. And we tell this to our children all the time, don't we? We are so protective of the people that they surround themselves with because part of growing up as a person is to... Um, uh, is to take, you know, is to, we just went through a sermon series, right? Talking about uh, what parenthood is, the hardest job in the world. And the role of a, chair, a parent from that series was to take their trust away from the parent and to turn it towards God. And that the goal of every parent is to wean the children off of the parent, but not unto themselves, although they will have themselves involved in that, but to wean them off of the parent onto God so that they fully and completely trust and lean on God. That is the role of a parent. It may not seem like that. The, wor the world today would say, you know, they have to be kicked out of the house. They have to learn to live by themselves, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and all that sort of thing. Well, that's the way the world lives. But the way that a Christian lives is to be completely and wholly dependent upon God, for him to be the way of life, to come into your life and to fill you every day to give you the, the joy and everything you need, no matter what circumstance, whether or not you're working or you're in prison or whatever, wherever you are, that every day God fills you because you're putting your dependence on him and God never fails. So flee every man and all from all like him in this, in this first verse basically means to, uh, to take, you know, if you have an evil person in your life, you need to flee that. And how many times have you heard a story of somebody who came to faith in Christianity? And, uh, well, maybe you haven't heard this, but um, we do a ministry called the Kairos Ministry, which is uh, a prison ministry. It's where you take a three-day retreat into the prison and you start to teach these people in, who live in the prison about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about forgiveness, about love, about joy, about happiness. And, and then you tell them about Paul. Paul was in prison. He lived a full and abundant life because some of these people are in prison for the rest of their life. But that doesn't mean that they can't uh, experience God's joy and love uh, in a prison. And many prisoners do. And, and then they create a church in the prison and they care for each other and they pray over each other. And it's one of the most amazing things you'll ever see is hardened people who have grown up without knowing the love of Jesus to all of a sudden be overwhelmed by his love and to transform their life and then to pray for other people. Um, but when you get into this prison ministry, then they're going to tell you about their stories, about the hardest thing about being a prisoner, about the hardest thing about uh, or the is one of the challenging things about being in a, in a, you know finding the gospel of Jesus Christ in prison is you your whole life has always been around evil people and you realize you come to the realization that you need to flee from evil people and you need to fill your life with people who have uh, Jesus in them and who are filled with joy and because these prisoners oftentimes will get up and speak and talk about how Jesus has transformed their life of course you know you're sitting there weeping with joy. Um, because they talk about how uh, when Jesus comes into your life, you really do have to kind of cut ties at some level with some of the evil people that used to surround yourself. Now, it doesn't mean you can't go back into that community and be Jesus to them, but um, it does mean that uh, it, you have to flee from evil. So this is not at all, uh, one of the things we've been talking about with the Didache is um, how much it tracks with scripture. I don't see anything wrong with this. Yes, flee from every evil man. Well, and what's interesting, the word for evil man here is paneru, um, 
which is also the end of the Lord's Prayer, but deliver us from evil, uh, deliver us from paneru. Sometimes you'll hear a version of the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from the evil one, um, because it's paner, it's a, it could be either one. It's deliver us from every evil, every evil person and all like him. Be not proud, orgelos. Uh, now, uh, orgelos doesn't necessarily mean pride. Uh, it means, uh, I was looking at that. That was kind of what started it also, because I don't think orgelos means pride. I think orgelos means something else. Let me just look that up real quick. Um, that would be verse one, verse one, uh, orgelos, prone to anger. Yeah, so um, the word orgelos means prone to anger. So what the, what the Didache is saying is don't be one who just flies off the handle, who's prone to anger. Um, be, be filled with God's spirit so that you can resist anger. I mean, obviously there's a time to be righteously angered. There's no question about it. Jesus was righteously angered when he drove the money changers out of the temple courtyard. Uh, so there is a time to be righteously angry. But you shouldn't always just fly off the handle and be angry. Um, so do not be anger, for anger leads to murder. Um, and you can see how that would be. Um, how many times have murders been committed because people were just so angry and they committed a murder? Of course, that destroys their own life because if you committed a murderer and because you were, you know, you, when you get angry, it shuts off part of your brain and you're just going on a flight and fight response and, and you can kill somebody. And so we as humans have to learn how to control our anger so that we don't go around killing people, right? Because if you don't control your anger, if you, and if you've, have you ever met somebody that can't control their anger? I mean, really, uh, sometimes you wonder, it's like, man, I wonder if they're going to actually kill somebody. I mean, part of, now, and some of us get angry easier than others. Part of growing up and learning how to live in the world is just to not to get so overwhelmed with angry, uh, anger that it leads to murder. So, and you know, the apostle Paul talks about this in the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith control, uh, faithfulness, self-control. All of this stuff uh, is basically to help us so that we don't, use our base instincts to live in our life, that we're more peaceable, that we let, this is what, this is what the way of life is, is that God comes and fills you every day with his peace and his joy and his anti-anger medicine in your life so that you're not prone to anger. And not, not to say you can't get angry, but that you just, you look at life without being angry. Anger will destroy you. Not only can it destroy other people, but it can destroy you too. Uh, all right, nor jealous, zelatas is the Greek word there. From, the, from We get the word zeal from that. So, But don't be jealous. If you want to learn about jealousy, tune in on a Sunday to Sunday sermon because we're talking about budding heads and relationships. And uh, this, this weekend, we're talking about jealousy and how jealousy can really destroy relationships. And that's all I'm going to go. Not contentious, which is aristikos. Now that's interesting. You've ever heard of an aristocrat? An aristocrat, it comes from the Greek word aristikos. And it's basically someone who quarrels, someone who uh, debates, someone who is uh, um, contentious, uh, grumpy. <laughs> uh, so um, the, the, uh, 
the re the reason why the aristocracy is called aristocracy is because they they are uh, debating all the time. They're they're contentious all the time. Now there is a there is a time for good contention, right? Contention just for contentious sake is not good. But we've learned in our society how to channel contention and debate uh, for um, for good, right? We've we've learned in Western society that we actually need people to speak openly and honestly in debate. So at some level, aristocas is good, but. Uh, I think that the contentious that they're talking about here in the Didache is just like overly debated, overly, overly contentious, overly grumpy. I, I think I have, um, let's see, yeah, here's the, here's the English translation for aristocas. Grumpy, stroppy, quarrelsome, gruff, grouchy, crusty, characterized by disputatious, often specious arguments, which means that you you just... Uh, so the so good debate is good, right? But if you're just debating for debate's sake, just because you love to get into arguments, that's being contentious. And and so uh, the Didache says, don't be contentious. I don't know if that's really in scripture. Um, and I think you have to be very cautious to say, don't be contentious, because there are times to be contentious. And absolutely, like we're in this pandemic, right? So if you uh, if you see somebody being really foolish and you just know that it's foolish, like, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know how to say it, but, you know, it, it might be worth, you know, saying, hey, do you realize you shouldn't be doing that? As opposed to contentious, which is what they're doing in Pima County by people are calling in organizations saying they're not following the CDC guidelines and they put them on the wall of shame. And I, I get the feeling that there are people just going around Pima County, going into every place of business, seeing if they're following the guidelines or not. And if they're not following the guidelines, they call it Pima County and they get put up on the wall of shame and, the, and they get shamed. And apparently some of these people are getting death threats and it's horrible. And, um, and that's to me, I mean, there's a place for good contentiousness, I guess. And there's also a place where you're just being contentious just because you want to be a uh, a, a bad person, <laughs> another B word that starts with a bad person, nor passionate, uh, thumakos from, from the word thumas, passion, uh, for, for from all these are engendered, uh, murders are engendered. So you have to control yourself. You have to control your emotions. And this is harder for some people than it is for others. Uh, we've talked about the Enneagram, uh, there are people who are an eight on the Enneagram and they, they are very quick to use their physical body to, uh, to yell at people. To uh, yeah. If you've ever worked for somebody like that, they're, they're quick to anger. Uh, you know, something sets them off and they're quick to yell at you. And then they're fine because they've let it off. You know, they've steamed it off. Um, and you're the one that has to suffer the brunt of that. And, but the other side of that is like me, I'm not necessarily prone to anger, but it does build up inside of me to the point where I have a, what I call a Vesuvius moment where and then I just spill that anger over to everybody. They're both wrong. Um, what you need to do is control your anger, um, figure out a way to get it out. Uh, and that, you know, the, the, that's talking to other people. If somebody's, you know, making you angry, talk to them. I and mean, that's what the, Jesus says. If somebody has, you know, wronged you, go to them. At Matthew 18, go to them and say, you've wronged me and reconcile with them. Don't hold on to that anger. So, I mean, it's all the same stuff. It's just written in different ways, right? Um, because if you don't control your anger, 
you're either, you know, you, you can lead to murder and, and that is not good. Uh, unchecked anger, no matter what type of anger can lead to murder. And I think that's probably true. Um, far, far from all these murders are engendered. And remember, Jesus redefined murder uh, to be not actually killing somebody, but uh, to saying raka to somebody or, or, you know, basically belittling somebody, um, not treating them as another human being. I mean, Jesus really elevated the whole term of murder. My child, that technon again, be not lustful, epithumetes, for lust leads to fornication, porneon. That's where we get the word pornography from. Nor a speaker of base words, aiskralagas, which means basically being foul-mouthed. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Nor a lifter up of the eyes, hupse ophthalmas. So we have uh, op- ophthalmos or your eyes, right? It's where we get the word opth- ophthalmo- uh, ophthalmetry. Somewhere in there, opt- optometrist. But isn't there an ophthalmologist? Ophthalmologist, yeah. I think there's somebody who deals with your eyes. Hoopsas, lift, looking up or lifting up. Hoopsas, ophthalmos. Ophthalm- op- Don't be a lifter up of the eyes. And this is probably... Uh, for from these, all adultery is engendered. So lifting up your eyes is basically looking in places that you shouldn't look, right? Um, you know, they make, uh, they make joke of this. Sometimes you'll see a busty woman and she'll go, my eye, look here, buddy. <laughs> That's terrible. But they, they do, they, there are some TV shows or movies or something where that becomes comical. All right. So, um, but the, the truth is, uh, you have the whole purpose of this in chapter th- in chapter three is to flee from evil, flee from the temptations of lust, and that's basically what they said in the second chapter too. I mean, you learn to control your urges, your impulses. Learn how to be a uh, a gentle person to use anger when necessary, but don't fly off the handle and do do bad things because of anger. Um, you know, enjoy the beauty of the world around you, but don't be lustful of other. Of other people. I mean, don't lift up your eyes because that's where, because once you start lusting, and this is what Jesus said, Jesus did say this, is that adultery can be committed in your head just by the way you think. In the Old Testament, adultery was being married and then having relationships with somebody you weren't married married to, right? But in the New Testament, Jesus says, in the Old Testament, I said this, but I say adultery is just if you look at somebody, if you lift up your eyes, um, and look, and you have that lust in your heart, then you're committing adultery. So this this is in line with what Jesus is saying, um, which is why I think this book is so fascinating. All right, we're going to continue on. Uh, we're going to get to chapter, chapter 3, verse 4. Here we go. My child, regard not omens, oinoscopus, which is equal to bird watcher, <laughs> for this leads to idolatry. Neither be an enchanter, nor an astrologer, nor a magician, uh, neither wish to see these things, for from them is all idolatry. My child, be not a liar, for lying leads to theft, nor a lover of money, nor vainglorious, for from all these things are thefts engendered. My child, be not a grumbler, um, for this leads to blasphemy, nor stubborn, nor a thinker of evil, for all these things are blasphemies engendered. But be meek, for the meek shall inherit the earth. All right, so... I was reading that and I was looking over my notes. That may have been confusing to you, um, and I apologize for that. But basically what he's saying here in this section is that 
you know, don't don't be an astrological person. Uh, you know, don't don't follow the stars. You know, the tarot cards and the stars and astrology and all that. So, you know, are you a Capri? Are you a Capricorn? Are you an Aquarius? You know, all that. And assuming that because you're born at a certain time of the year or under certain stars, that that explains how you are. And that's interesting. Um, I find that interesting because uh, some of us are born with different personalities, right? We know now from very many, many different personality tests that we all are different. We process information different. We, we interact differently and we should celebrate and enjoy the differences. And I think the astrology was early man's attempt to understand why people behaved the way they did. And one of their theories was, well, if you're born under a certain uh, constellation, that that explains how God created you, right? Um, and we know now, I think, that which month of the year, which stars you're born under, really doesn't have any influence at all as to how you live your life or how, you know, what your strengths and your weaknesses are. But they were on to something. And what they were on to is that we are all created differently and that, um, and that we have different strengths and weaknesses. And understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are is something that the Bible says you should do, right? Because the eye cannot say to the hand, you're meaningless, right? That the, every whatever God has gifted you, whatever gifting you have for the kingdom, it's okay that God created you and gifted you because that's the way you were created. But I think what the astrologists, the astrologers were trying to do is to kind of... Uh, you know, say that it was the stars that you were born in, that the gods were creating you the way you are because of the stars that you were born under. And I think they were onto something, but they were off also. And, and now we know that most, I mean, we know that people have personality differences, but it's not based upon the stars. I don't think. Maybe we'll get into heaven and find out that there is some influence based upon the gravitational pull of different planets at different times. I doubt it, though. All right. Um, so do not regard, regard omens, which is a bird watcher. So people would also look at birds and get, you know, communications from God through the through birds or stars. Uh, it leads to idolatry. And uh, idolatrean, latrea is service. Idol is idol, so service to idols. Neither be an enchanter, which is uh, epoidas, enchanter or charmer, astrologer. The word for astrology here is mathematicus, which is someone who's fond of learning or astrological signs. So mathematics was created as a, as a science early on to understand the movement of the stars, right? And so a lot of the spherical geometry and geometry and all that sort of thing, that mathematicus was man's attempt to understand the universe. That's okay. I'm a mathematician, but... Uh, an astrologer is one who sees uh, the signs of the stars as basically God's influence in your life. Um, and, and really, an, ast an astrologer today, I don't know if they still have this in the newspaper, but they, when I was growing up, they would have, um, if you were, if, you know, they would have all of the astrological signs. This is, they published this newspaper. It was funny. On page one, it would say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And then you'd go to this page, which is next to the comics page, and it would give you your astrological sign and what your life was going to be like today, right? So your life today is going to be, you're going to meet somebody interesting today, right? I mean, that, and 
I mean, it's just all hogwash. Because how do you find out that information? Well, you're doing divination, and divination is forbidden in Scripture. So at some level, it's okay to study the stars to understand planetary movements and all that. But at another level, it's not okay to study the stars to say it's going to guide my life today because the stars are in a certain pattern, and that's how I'm going to live my life. Um, and it's a, it's a very interesting distinction. And so you can see how when the early church, you know, when these uh, people that were just beginning to understand planetary motion and movements and stuff like that, how the early, you know, Christian church was very, very cautious and, uh, uh, you know, uh, spoke words against these people because they thought that they were doing divination. And, you know, Copernicus is like, I'm not doing divination. I'm just trying to understand the universe. This is what we're called to do. Genesis 1, right? Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. I'm trying to subdue the earth. I'm trying to understand the movements of the planets and all that. I'm not trying to, from that, gain an understanding of how my day is going to be or to have a prediction or an omen of what my day is going to be. I'm just trying to understand the movement of the stars. Uh, and so that's, that's the mathematicus. Don't be a magician. Hence, in, um, in the scripture, typically a magician is magi. Uh, that's why we call them the magi. They came from the east to study Jesus. This, this is not. This is a perikathyro, which is basically purified by means of the application of an object meant to absorb defilement or control. Purify by means of the application of an object meant to absorb defilement or control. So perikathyroi uh, almost sounds like what they do in Haiti with the voodoo dolls and stuff like that, where you're taking uh, an object meant to absorb or defile or control someone else. Uh, and so basically, that's the type of magician they're talking about here. It's not magi, you know, in Luke, where they come and, and adore Jesus. This is a magician that's actually trying to use something to control somebody else, like a, like a voodoo doll or something like that. Uh, for, from all of this is idolatry is engendered. My child, do not be a liar, for lying leads to theft, nor a lover of money, phila, phila arguras. Philas is a lover, right? Philadelphia is the city of uh, brotherly love. Philas is one of the Greek words for love. You have, um, you have eros, you have agape, you have philos as different ways of saying love. This is like brotherly love. It's just an affection for. Arguras, you all know arguras is silver. That's why in the periodical table, it's A-G, it's for, you know, Arguras, not a lover of money, nor vainglorious, uh, for from, uh, I'm just going through this too rapidly, it's all good stuff here. All right, let me just slow down. Um, uh, let's see, don't be a magician. Don't control, don't use the elements of the world to control other people. And don't wish to see evil on other people. Don't practice idolatry. Don't, don't try to control the world through, um, um, uh, what is it when, you know, they used to have people that would try to take elements and turn them into other elements. And the word is escaping right now. I'll have it by tomorrow. But, you know, don't try to control the world. Be content with what you have. Be content with what God's given to you. Don't try to use magic or witchcraft or charms or something like that to get more. A lot of times in voodoo practices, right? Like why do they even have voodoo dolls? It's to poke a pin in the voodoo doll, right? To create evil in somebody else. And what it says here in the Didache is don't do that. 
Don't try to use these supernatural means to control, to have God control the earth. You cannot control God. God is uncontrollable. He will do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. You are human. He is God. He is going to control. The, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, it's, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus prayed for was God Help me to accept your will in my life. Uh, and, and if you cannot accept God's will in your life to what he's doing and his plan and what he's doing, then what are you going to do? You're going to try to use by any means necessary to you control things um, through you know magic, through witchcraft, through uh, astrology, uh, through being an enchanter, through omens. All of this stuff is evil in God's sight. Why is it evil? Because it's trying to control God, and God is uncontrollable. God does what he wants to do. And so I don't see any of this as being against what Scripture says. It maybe doesn't go as far as Jesus does, which is to say, just be content with the way God has gifted you. All right, so um, it is obvious that we are not getting far, and I apologize that. And also, I just got started late this morning because I started looking at these words, and I was just like, oh, that's so exciting. But I'll be better prepared tomorrow. Um, and uh, so thanks. For, what is today? Thursday? Today is Thursday. Oh, my goodness. So Friday uh, is the last day. And then school is off next week and the following week. Um, so I will decide tomorrow whether or not we're going to do some stuff of this next week or if I'm just going to push the whole thing out two weeks. Because uh, I do have some family coming into town. But I don't think, um, I don't think this necessarily conflicts with that. So I'll decide that by tomorrow. But let's just close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for um, your presence in our lives. Help us to, um, to be content with the way you've created us, to be content with the gifts that you've given us, uh, and, to help, and to have your will uh, work in us. Until we meet again, keep us ever in your grace. In Jesus' name.